Good morning and welcome to Mornings with Box 2 Radio, a broadcast that is centered around news and views, Bible Q&A, and special guests. Now get ready because it's time to scramble those eggs, brew that coffee, and open that Bible. And let's jump into Mornings with Box 2 Radio. Good morning and welcome into Mornings with Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. This is December 11, 2023, and this is truly the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Today's the day that whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever situation, He is more than enough. He's always been more than enough. He's always going to be good more than enough. He's good, always been good, and He will always be good. So we're excited to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Rose of Sharon, the Prince of the Peace, the Everlasting, the Counselor, the Good Shepherd. He is my all in all. So how are y'all doing on this Monday morning? I'm doing good. <laughs> doing well, Miss Gretchen says. <laughs> doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to be here, Miss Hannah. Cold but good. <laughs> it is a little chilly. Tis chilly. Tis chilly. So we're praying today for all the families out there and all the children. And I know public schools got school today and they're gonna uh, praying for protection and guidance for all of them out there and just praying for all the local churches hoping and prayerful that you all had a great service yesterday morning and so we love our listeners anything we could ever pray for you guys for we'd love to pray with you just get the information to us and we'll definitely add you to the prayer list we have what we call um our we have like a little prayer thing here where we put you on a piece of paper and we put it on our altar and um, we pray for it throughout the week as people are praying and a little prayer request thing. And people really do grab those and pray over those. So your prayer requests will be prayed over. And then there's often, and there's times that when somebody submits a prayer or calls a station, we'll stop and pray. So um, we want to pray for you guys and pray with you and connect in faith in whatever situation you're looking for the Father to answer. I'm glad you said that because it reminded me of someone I'm supposed to put on the prayer list today. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. Yes. Um, if you all want to listen live into the Box 2 Radio Network, maybe you're just finding us and you don't know how to get to us, you can listen live on 91.5 Litchfield-Hardensburg, 98.3 Owensboro, <laughs> Kentucky, 91.1 Highsville, Glasgow, or you can download our radio listening app that's available on Android or Apple. Just download Tithely, T-I-T-H-E, period, L-Y, church app. Search Box 2 Network. Once you change that over, that is the once and for all last time you have to do it unless for some reason you change the church or delete the app. And so, but it's easy to do. You can also listen live at box2number2radio.com. Interact. You can text or call. Um, you can call the station at 270-257-2689. But the greatest way to interact with the broadcast is by texting me at 270-230-6337. Um, we're always loving the communication, the interaction, the dialogue with our listening family in the mornings. Uh, coming right up here, December 15th, Pleasant View Baptist Church this this Friday night. Christmas Cantata, cherish that name. Friday this 15th, starting at 7 o'clock p.m. Um, then this Wednesday night is the Christmas play for Bethel Fellowship. Starts at 6 o'clock p.m. with refreshments to follow. And then continue to pray for Todd Mingus. He's heading home today. And I talked to him yesterday. And we're going to do a night of Celebrate VBS Honduras. 
and that's going to be December the 20th here. Um, it'll be our last Wednesday night service of the year at Bethel Fellowship, and so we're going to send it out the right way, and we're going to have a night of some worship and a lot of celebrating what God did at VBS Honduras. So that's going to be really exciting. If you got nothing to do, December 20th, come out that Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m., and we are going to celebrate it, all that God's done. But he's flying home today, traveling home, so be prayer for him for good and favorable travel conditions and safety. And then January 1st, don't forget it's the start of the Reads of the Bible in a year um, <clears throat> over on the square at Hardensburg. If you want more information, your church wants to participate, maybe take a, a watch of reading, um, you can contact Miss Juanita Sheck, and if you'll call the radio station or text me, I can get you her number and get you the information needed to get her in contact so that you all can participate as well. Weather today is a high of 44 and a low of 28. Verse of the day, 2 Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Quote of the day is a quote by R.C. Sproul, Jr. In fact, the devil is delighted when we spend our time and energy defending the Bible, as long as we do not get around to actually reading the Bible. Actually, when I read that quote, it reminded me of Jason, because <laughs> um, you have said stuff similar to that before. So... Good, pretty good company, I guess. If you and RC Spro is, <laughs> if you and them are saying the same thing, you you know, I like RC Spro a lot. So I do, yeah. Um, but it did remind me of something that you had said before about I'm just not going to argue the yeah. Bible. Um, and the so, Bible's right, so he's got to be careful. So. Are you alluding to that you were right too? Then no, no, I'm just <laughs> no, saying, just kidding, just kidding. Is it, you know. You can disagree about what you may yeah. think, but as long as you have the premise, the Bible is absolute truth. Yeah, it is. And it is. We're we're just trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's um. We talk about that a lot time a lot of times in New Testament how the Bible's right, and they don't care if you agree with it or not. Right? Is this right? Yeah. And so um, <clears throat> sometimes we have it the other way around. We mm -hmm. act as if we're right, and the Bible has to meet us. Yeah. And we call that liberal theology <laughs> and progressivism because that is surely a thing. Um, I know else well, is... Uh, we can talk about this later, but what exactly is replacement theology? We can maybe... You want me to add that question to the add list? Add that to our list, yeah. All right. Yeah. I can do that. All right. Yeah, I um, just, it popped in my head. I've, I've thought about it the other day, but it popped in my head whenever you said that liberal theology. So... All right, that'll be added to the list. <laughs> uh, I do have another thing that looks just right. I think I think I like Jason with the beard. What do you all think? I don't know. It gets I don't know. <clears throat> How long have you had the beard? Am I just really not noticing the beard? About two years now. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not true. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. Maybe a month. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't really start. You know, the no shave November. I think I started a little bit before then, <laughs> but I, I didn't realize it was coming up. So yeah, kind of gave me a good excuse. Is so, that a deer uh, hunting thing? No, I. You know, I've never been deer hunting. Well, no, I mean, the no shave November is that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I think it was an excuse for people just not to shave. <laughs> um, 
But I've tried it a few times in the past, but that uh, that itchy phase. I didn't know if you were me. like trying to play Santa Claus somewhere or something like that, and you're just prepping. I might not. <laughs> I need a little extra income. <laughs> <laughs> you are getting you are getting up there to where yeah. that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, you're talking about my weight? No. <laughs> or my age? Your age. <laughs> Either one is not a good thing. I am not talking. I'm not. I'm not. You know, that's one thing we didn't have announcements yesterday was anybody calling anybody big. Um, so, <laughs> no. You're just getting up there. I mean, yeah. you're, 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 um, I don't know. I just, I was actually trying to make you compliment. And I, okay. I like the beard. I was, I like oh, the beard. You. I can't grow a full beard. Some reason right there under my nose, right there where your lip meet, mm -hmm. it never grows. So if I grow any kind of thing like there, it just looks weird. Because um, I, I don't know. Kind of have a reverse Hitler mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think somewhere along the line, my mom or somebody put Nair there, and they just never went back. <laughs> it permanently burned it off. So I, I don't know, because I never got a scar. Like, I never had an issue there. Yeah. Sometimes, like, people get hurt, and, you know, it ruins the, the, the hair there. But mine has just never been there, so I don't really know what it is. Um, okay. Maybe it's non. Maybe it's because I've never ate green food, and I'm sure that has something to do with it. Um, actually, I did read that's where I get. Um, I always joke about like having seven kids and stress, and that's why I have gray hair. But I did read an article recently about if you lack <clears throat> certain vitamins, your hair will grow. Your hair will get gray faster. And I said, there it is. That's it. So. <laughs> <clears throat> well, we are progressing into Hebrews. We're in um, Roman, I mean, Hebrews chapter and verse. All right, let me just restart that. We're going to Hebrews <laughs> chapter 9, verse 6. <laughs> that, was, that was messy. It's a Monday. Miss um, Gale says, oh, love the quote. Miss Gretchen said, the Bible's like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Just let it loose. Miss um, Gale likes you. Oh, Who okay. said that originally? I don't know. I've never heard it. <laughs> oh. Say it again. Miss, um, the Bible is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You just let it loose. Hmm. She credited it to you. Oh. I don't remember saying it. <laughs> huh. You're saying prolific things and don't ever remember it, Miss right. Gretchen. <laughs> That's how you know you've arrived. <laughs> You say things so pro profoundly that you don't even remember it. All right, let's see here. I hope I didn't say it because I don't remember saying it. <laughs> and it's, uh, and uh, so I don't. If I did say it, I don't know where I got it. <laughs> All right, so we are in Hebrews chapter nine. It's been um, it's been getting really good in Hebrews for sure. Uh, I mean, it's been good from the beginning. But it has been really good lately in 7, 8, and then moving to 9, and even going back to 6 when it really started to dive deep and talking about the order of Melchizedek, talking about the high priestliness of Christ, and how also he's the king of peace and also the king of righteousness, but also a high priest before the Lord. And So now we're talking about how the first, um, if you back up to 8, he was talking about how the first, um, covenant had fault and the mm -hmm. second covenant is better and we was talking about how there's better promises there's better methods there are all these things in Christ and then we solidify that he is not somebody who is continually he's not a priest who has to keep returning to the temple or a tabernacle he he did it once and for all it's a once and for all sacrifice 
So now we find ourselves in verse 6 where um, just previously in chapter 9, he's talking about the articles of the tabernacle, the furniture, the layout of that. And so here we are in 6, and it says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing, accomplishing, oh my gosh, it's Monday. This is a struggling Monday. The service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time, then the present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscious, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposing them until the time of reformation. Now, we did read that verse last week, but we didn't talk about this in depth because we got stuck up. We got stuck a little bit higher on a, on a verse. So here he's actually talking about how the problem was that whenever this priest would go in and make the services and accomplish them before God, they could not make him perfect. It would cover the heirs of the people and himself, but it could not, what? Make him perfect. And that's where the first law was incapable. I mean, that's where the first covenant was incapable of actually being perfect in all in a sense. Now, Psalms does say the law is perfect for converting the soul, but if you look at the context there, it's talking about how the law is perfect for teaching me, for enlightening, for being a schoolmaster. And that was the intent of the law, is to show me how um, to, to teach me, to show me that I have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's also there to show me the holiness of God. And it's there to reveal how holy he is, how righteous he is, how just he is. And so here the author of Hebrews is reminding me that, look, the law did what the law was created to do, and it was perfect in that, but yet it still had fault in the fact that it could not create the high priest or the priest perfect, even though he was the one actually doing the work. And even the one putting the blood on the mercy seat, even the one going into the holiest of place, yet still was not able to be perfected and, as we would say, saved. So... Um, Agree, disagree, add to, take away? I agree. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's, I don't know if I can add any more to it. But. Or take away, <laughs> Revelation says, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not my word. Miss <laughs> um, uh, uh, Gail said, I thought it was Miss Gretchen. Maybe it's my age getting to me anyway. I like the quote. Spurgeon <laughs> said it first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know Spurgeon. <laughs> Oh, uh, um, so now we're going to verse 11, because again, if you just leave you there and this is the problem. So she confused mom with Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> what? What a compliment, Miss Gretchen. Is it? Hmm? <laughs> He's a man. She's a woman. I just got. <laughs> I just gotta. Uh, I just wonder if Miss Gretchen's at home studying the Bible, smoking cigars like <laughs> Spurgeon did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, <hardly>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So here's the problem. All right. So whenever you discuss the gospel, you have to talk about the law, right? Like, because in reality, 
you have to establish with somebody, like the Romans road, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and that payment of falling short is what? Death. Yeah. So this is pertaining to the law now. The law is there to point us towards Christ, to show us our, our falling um, short, to show us where we need redemption, show us why we need a Savior, show us the holiness of God. And so in all this, there's a showing of the law. The problem is a lot of people just show the law and never get to the gospel. And that is the message of religion mm-hmm. is show me the law and tell me to try harder. And and religion tries me tries to get me to meet the demand of holiness in the law, which I can't do absent of Christ. And if we stop at just the law and stop at just a failure and just stop at telling people they're never going to be perfect and just stop there, we're doing them actually a disservice and we're not giving them the gospel. Because here, there's no hope. There's no hope. Yeah, you're you're striving. Yep. And verse 11 is getting ready to give us hope. And I love how the author of Hebrews actually is doing this. But Christ, Mm. being come as high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and of ashes of heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth the, to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I mean, he's just like, we got this problem. In 1 through 10, but Christ. Yeah. But Christ came in there. And I absolutely love that. Neither by the blood of goats. Yeah. Nothing. But how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? There's been a, there's a, there's a way. There's that kind of makes it clear that nothing else, nothing, nothing but else. the blood. I believe there's a song that says nothing mm-hmm. but the blood. Why don't you sing that Y'all should sing that on Sunday. <laughs> I do like that song. That's a good song. Nothing mm-hmm. but the blood of Jesus. How precious. You did say you all. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you have to be very specific. Yeah. You all, absent of Aaron, should sing that song on Sunday morning. Um, you had the tune there. That's good. See, I had the, thank you, Miss Gretchen. <laughs> I'm getting there. That was much nicer she said about me at prayer that one night I tried to sing, so I'm moving on up. <laughs> um, but no, it is, and and I think this is important too, and you all can tell me if you agree that I'm I'm centering in on something that we usually miss and don't talk about in this verse, but it says, by his own blood he entered into, I mean, he entered in once. Again, what's the author of Hebrew doing here? He's stressing the once mm-hmm. into the holy place, having obtained what eternal redemption for us. This is very strong language that I think if we're not careful, we'll just skip over because he's saying he entered in once into the holy place again to our Catholic friends. This is what I, I don't understand how the theology of the Catholic church over the history and uh, the centuries have got to the point where they believe that in the Eucharist, Christ is literally re-crucifying himself to cover our sins. 
Because wouldn't that contradict the scripture here in Hebrews then? I mean, yeah, because mm-hmm. Christ never has to re- crucify himself again. Hebrews is very clear here. He went once into the holy place in verse 12 of chapter 9 of Hebrews, having obtained eternal redemption because his blood is greater than the blood of bulls and goats and of the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying the purified of the flesh. His is a greater blood, and his blood was offered through the Holy Spirit without spot to God. And his blood enables us to purge our conscience. Now, that's a big deal because now it's starting to work inwardly. You see how the Hebrews is doing that? The law didn't work inwardly all the time. It covered the sin. Mm -hmm. But to change the heart and the spirit was a different story because that's what Ezekiel said was coming. But here, the writer of Hebrews says, the blood of Christ who threw the internal spirit off himself without spot of perjure, what conscious your inwardness from dead works to serve the living God. So it's good. Good stuff. I like Hebrews. Yeah. <clears throat> Nothing but the blood's a short song, too. You can <laughs> sing it in no time. I'll see what I can do. I, I know the person who picks on it. Right. Um, we have a, uh, you know, where they kind of, where they play, like, like we did Sunday, there was two songs, you know, that kind of, yeah, uh, or add something to it to kind of jazz it up a little bit. I don't remember what. Isn't that is isn't there a one Joy the Lord about nothing but the blood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's one with uh-huh. nothing but the blood. Because then they Probably. go in the, mm-hmm. there is power, power, <laughs> one the working power. I think so. In <laughs> the blood. Did y'all sing a hymn Sunday? Of the land. Joy to the world. Oh. Jason's like <laughs> the one Sunday I miss. Yeah. <laughs> we visited Kelly's mom's church and I was expecting a lot of hymns. So I was kind of pumped up about that, but they didn't sing a single one. <laughs> so I had a bad attitude during the sermon. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But I was I was pumped up about the hymns. <laughs> I could just see it now, though. Jason sat there with oh. my arms folded. <laughs> no, I shall not be moved. <laughs> They, I mean, it was good singing, but... Uh, Ooh, was, that's good. <clears throat> um, there were no hymns. Let's see here. Um, that's going to be a good place to stop right yeah. now. We can we can go to break a couple minutes early. It's okay. And we'll read our first trivia question. make up for all the times we go to break late. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't got the prize yet for this two weeks. I, I will... Um, I'm, Who I, won, by the way... Uh, on, on Friday. Kay Decker. Decker. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Which was yeah. funny because in the very beginning when she got a trivia question right, she said that she had plans for those tickets <laughs> before she ever won. Really? And then she ended up winning. Yeah. She did. And <laughs> she claimed it. She claimed I mean, she it. Called, she got as many times in that she could. Was the limit two or three? Uh, two. Two. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do something new. I'm adding something, and I have, I don't know what got into me last night, but I love, I have all, every every morning we get, you know, like the weather, the verse of the day, the quote of the day, and all this. I'm done for the whole week. I got all five days done for this whole week already. So all the the notes and stuff, I was just so proud. I was like, yay, go Aaron. Um, <laughs> last night, 
And so, but I added something each day. Now today's long, longer than they're going to be because most of the rest of the week is just a paragraph. So, but I'm going to do every every coming back from the 7:30 break. We're going to do a historical story or something historical from the church. And mm-hmm. so I call it Church History Corner. I guess I'm not for sure what I'm going to call it officially, but it's going to come in from the 7:30 break. I don't want to put it in there with everything else. So, but 7:30 when we come back from the break. There's going to be a short. Now, most of, this is long, but I feel like Polycarp is so good to talk about in his death. Has anybody in this room ever studied Polycarp's martyrdom? Uh, um, I did a, a class on church history, and uh, I did study, but I don't remember anything. Oh, my gosh. No, not one thing. <laughs> Polycarp's martyrdom was, was pretty amazing. And um, now there is two different stories of his he burned at the stake well that's what we're going to talk about okay i can't i don't want to rush my church corner (laughs) but i got all week done so i got all my history lessons for the whole week already done and i got all the notes done only thing i have to do is update the the list of questions each day and then i'm good to go i I just like (laughs) pat myself on the back all right um monday question number one sponsored by the sicilian bank what future king was looking for lost donkeys when he ran into samuel what future king was looking for lost donkeys when he ran into Samuel? 270-257-2689. We'll be right back here after the break on Mornings with Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. Box 2 Radio. Okay, well, we're back on this December 11, 2023 on Mornings with Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. We have an answer for our first trivia question of the morning. What future king was looking for lost donkeys when he ran into Samuel? It was Saul. And so Brother Dwayne Kidd got that right. So it's good to hear from Pastor Dwayne this beautiful Monday morning here on the Box 2 Radio Network. And like I said, we'll have our prize we're giving away tomorrow announced. Um, I want to make sure... I don't I don't have another trip right now, but I got some other things I'm stirring. So, because uh, <clears throat> this will be the if I if my calculations are right, this will be the two weeks, and then we'll go on shutdown for that one week um, for the end of the month year. So, all right, church history corner. Polycarp lived between sixteen sixty nine and one fifty six. Bishop of the early church, disciple of the apostle John. So he was actually a direct disciple. Most believe that he was the last one living on the earth, that Polycarp actually traveled and was a direct disciple of John the Apostle. And so most people believe he may have been the last person on the earth that actually studied directly under one of the original apostles. Um, I'm not going to read all this, but John, a contemporary of Ignatius and a teacher of Arrhenius, according to Arrhenius, Polycarp was instructed by the apostles and brought into contact with many who had seen Christ. So again, that is the direct apostles of the apostolic age. Polycarp is going to be martyred by the Romans, and his death was influential even among the pagans. The the martyrdom of Polycarp begins with an account of persecution and martyrdom of a number of Christians, as well as at least one person who has renounced his faith and escaped torture. The Christians at the time were being told, under threat of death, to renounce Christ, confess that Caesar is Lord, and offer incense to the emperor. One of the modes of torture execution of Christians was to have them attacked by wild animals in a public arena. After a number of Christians had been killed in this way, the crowds began to call for the blood of Polycarp. 
Polycarp initially wanted to give himself up, but his friends prevailed upon him to try to hide and escape. However, he was eventually found. This is coming out, these exact excerpts are coming out from J.B. Lightfoot's translation, The Martyrdom of Polycarp, which was an actual, like a letter. There was a letter that Polycarp wrote to the Philippians that we have in circulation that we have. Now, this ain't scripture, so this is just secular historical writings from the early church fathers. But the this is the martyrdom of Polycarp that he didn't write, but it was about the martyrdom of him. And he was met by Herod, the captain of police, and his father, Nices, who was also removed him to their carriage and tried to prevail upon him, seating themselves by his side and saying, Why, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and offering incense? With more to this effect and saving thyself. But he at first gave them no answer. Whenever they, However they persisted, he said, I am not going to do what you counsel me. So they're saying, renounce him. What's the harm going to be? Polycarp responds, I'm not going to follow your words. Then they, failing to persuade him, utter threatening words and made him dismount with speed so that he bruised his shin as he got down from the carriage and without even turning around he went on his way promptly and with speed as if nothing had happened being taken to the stadium there was such a tumult tumult in the stadium that no man's voice could so be be so much heard the letter then describes polycarp's final minute and this is where it is just so rich but as Polycarp entered into the stadium, a voice came to him from heaven. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And so this supernatural voice is recorded to have sounded in the stadium, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And no one saw the speakers, the speaker, but those of our people who were present heard the voice. And at length, when he was brought up, there was a great shout. There was a great noise, for they heard that Polycarp had been apprehended. When then he was brought before them, they inquired whether he were the man. And on his confessing that he was, he tried to persuade him to a denial, saying, Have respect to thine age and other things in accordance therewith, as it is there won't, um, they want to, you to say, Swear by the genius of Caesar, repent and say, Away with the atheists. Christians were called atheists because they did not believe in the gods of Rome. Then Polycarp with solemn counsel, countenance, I'm sorry, looked upon the whole multitude of lawless heathen that were there in the stadium and waved his hand to them and groaning and looked up into heaven and said, Away with the atheist. But when the magistrate pressed him hard and said, Swear the oath, I will release thee, revile the Christ. Polycarp said, Four score and six years. So he's saying 86 years. No, 76 years? 76 years. Yeah. No, 86. Four score beat. 20, 28. 86, that was the right first time. Mm -hmm. 86 years have I been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Realizing that Polycarp would not recant, his captors threatened him with wild beasts. When that did not work, he was threatened with burning alive. That did not frighten him either. Early in the letter, Polycarp says that he had a vision of being burned alive. He did have that when I was asleep, and his pillow caught fire. <clears throat> Then a man, so then they tried to burn Polycarp, and this is so the wool, the wood caught on fire, but Polycarp was unharmed. History says that somehow, supernaturally, the fire formed an arch, a circulation around Polycarp, but the fire wouldn't touch Polycarp. Then a man stabbed Polycarp in his heart, and a great gush of blood came out and extinguished the remaining flames. 
after his death by stabbing his body then was burned. But then it was reported that the believers that was surrounding the stadium with Polycarp said it did not smell as though flesh was burning, but as bread was breaking, baking in the oven. Hmm. So it just all around it was a supernatural death, but his his death had great um, influence upon even pagans who saw it because of the supernatural and how Polycarp never recanted, never refuted, never <laughs> backed down, stood his ground and he said 86 years have I served him and he's never done me wrong but could you imagine like I would like to have I would like to read some stuff in Polycarp just because Polycarp studied directly under the Apostle John like he was Apostle John's direct disciple and Polycarp had the opportunity to actually be with the Apostles and um, early church fathers is something that we don't study very often in the church but it probably would add another layer of significance and revelation to actually at least look into them every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of these guys studied directly or very much shortly after the apostles. And so um, <clears throat> it's something I'm not great in, but I'm, I want to get better with my early church fathers. Have you studied much into them, Jason? Uh, no. I mean, I, like I said, I took a class, uh, church history. So and, did they cover church antiquities and everything like that? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of an overview, so we, we went through it pretty quick. Um, and uh, it, they all kind of jumbled together. Yeah. So I remember bits and pieces, and I can, uh, but usually I have trouble connecting it with the, the proper person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I thought for a moment, I thought I remembered Polycarp. But I had him in the Middle Ages, so yeah, no, he obviously would, I didn't. <laughs> no, this no Polycarp was really early. Um, now, some people say that there is this was direct interpretation from the letter Polycarp's martyrdom. Now, there is some people that I feel like it's kind of modernized and taken away, mm-hmm. but they say that he just got burned and that the whole story of the fire didn't. But this was like kind of an original letter, and so. Um, I tend to agree with the actual translation of the direct letter, not something that was speculated years down the road. So, but now again, I I told y'all that's a very long one. I just love Polycarp. Uh, the rest of the week in church history, they're all pretty short. They're just a paragraph. So, yeah. but I, I think it's good. I think it's that, I think it's good that we learn church history and learn where we come from, and um, you know, just thinking about how many people died to get the Bible into English or how many, you know, as much as we, I'll say like this, how many people died just to even make baptism a thing for the right reasons. Yeah. And the, um, which, you know, of course the Baptists get their name from baptism. But if you look at a lot of the, the things they went through and the martyrdom and, Mm -hmm. and things that they faced just so we could have proper, baptism and not baptism that saves you or infant baptism or anything like that, but what baptism according to scripture would be like and we don't really realize that the Anabaptists that died yeah. to get you know our ability in the church to even baptize and then all that Martin Luther and John Huston John Calvin and John Knox went through in the Reformation whether we agree with everything they say or not it was a pivotal part in the history of the church <laughs> and if John Calvin and Martin Luther and John Hust and John Knox and John Stott and all these pilgrims, I mean the Puritans and these reformers did not do what they did, 
we wouldn't have church like we have today. True. Because the Catholic Church would have still been dominating. So there's a lot of rich history in all these things. And so I'm going to try to limit it to like three or four or five minutes each morning. And if anybody in this room ever wants to bring in a, I call them Church History Nuggets, Church History Corner, we'll find a good name for it. Um, but I just think it will be very edifying and beneficial for the church. And and if it gets on our nerves, then y'all can tell me and I'll stop doing it. But um, <laughs> I like Polycarp and you can read a lot more to his death. That's a very big overview. And of course, if you've never read the Fox's Book of Martyr, um, you should take time to read that as well because that, that's there's a lot of things in that as well. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and just tackle Jason's question earlier. What exactly is replacement theology? Um, and we'll do that one and, and then we'll be able to go into the five questions from the list because I don't think we have a guest today. So we got plenty of time. All right. Let's do it. Um, so replacement theology is the theology that <clears throat> Israel is still going to be Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, that Israel was a church, and now the New Testament church, in essence, has replaced Israel. So there is no more real Israel, per se. There's only a spiritual Israel. Okay. And that... Now, I think a lot of them... Now, I think there will be a difference in all these... Um, but uh, let me say, like, the difference. I, I think there would be distinctions different replacement theologians would add or draw or take away. But in generalization, it's basically just that there's always been a church, and that church was always Israel, and that the New Testament church and the Gentile church just grafted into the original Israel. So now we're all spiritual Israel, and we really don't make a distinct difference between Israel and the Gentile church, that they're all the same, and they use, for instance— um, scriptures like Galatians 3 there's neither male, female Greek, Jew um, we're all just the same and you've always got to remember when Paul talks about that in Galatians that is talking about one thing and what's that one thing? salvation that's yeah. what it, that's the whole that's what he's talking about there is in salvation, in redemption there is no male, female there is no Greek, Jew there is no bond slave master slave there's nothing now when it pertains to everyday life though paul does draw great distinction between man and female times and he does draw distinction between greek and jew and so i I think it's worth noting because we use that scripture in galatians 3 and we apply that to every aspect but really if we are faithful to the text in that text he's only talking about the context really of salvation. So um, anybody else got anything before replacement? There's, um, I don't know if I want to say the person because I don't want to, I don't want to say what they taught and it not be completely accurate of what I remember them teaching, but. You can just say a person. Huh? <laughs> just I say can? a person. No, no, you don't say their name. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just track what a, they taught. Oh, a person. <laughs> well, it's a, like a very well-known Bible teacher. Mm-hmm. but. They were teaching um, about the spiritual Israel, but they were not. So I don't know what they would be considered when it comes to replacement. They were talking about us, like, being a spiritual Israel. um, But they were not saying that we are our Israel. Like, they were still teaching the distinction between the physical Israel and the Gentiles. But they were talking about how um, the spiritual Israel and how different scriptures, they were using different scriptures that were... directly speaking to Israel, but using the parallels of like 
the symbolism of how Israel came out of their bondage and then for the Gentiles. So they were kind of paralleling like what the Israelites went through and talking about the spiritual aspects that the Gentiles go through too, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So I'm not really sure if they were saying that we are a spiritual Israel or if they were just using it to parallel yeah. for the purpose of teaching. But <clears throat> Well, there is definitely a point where we're grafted in to the, the commonwealth of Israel. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about that in Ephesians, that's talking about the wall of hostility is broken down and we're grafted into... Um, the I think there is per se to an extent a spiritual Israel that we're grafted into, but and I think that is the body of Christ though, just into the chosen people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, the reason I can't get behind fully replacement theology is just because of Romans nine through eleven is very. I don't know how you, I don't know how you get around nine eleven and not draw a distinction between Israel and the Gentile church. Chapter 9, verse 11 or 9? 9, nine, nine through, through 11, 11. Okay. those three chapters. Because 9, he's talking about the sovereignty of choosing Israel as a nation. Yeah. And then he gets into 10 and 11, and especially in 11, he starts to go into you know the age of the Gentile church and the fullness, and then Israel, all of Israel is going to be saved. And then he talks even there about how Israel had rejected the Christ, and then through God's mercy... God sent the gospel to the the Gentiles, mm-hmm. and now God's telling them through your mercy, the gospel is going to go back to the Gentiles. I mean the Jews. So He's saying, don't be too quick to judge them because His giftings and callings are irrevocable. They not have no repentance. God is still going to save Israel. So, to me, there's just a great distinction that God's putting between the Gentile church and Israel as a nation. Now, do I think there's promises that we are grafted into the covenants? And the, I guess you say, covenantial order of where we're walking in covenant with him. Yes, through the gospel we are. But yet I still think there's promise specific to Israel Mm -hmm. that the Gentile church will not have. Right. Yeah, and I don't think that this teacher, I think that this teacher would agree with that statement. I think it was more of the covenant and the the communion and, and things like that. Yeah. For the purpose of teaching what the relationship that we now have with Christ as Gentiles. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. And there is a covenant we walk in. Sure. That we're grafted into. And so, but Romans 8, 9 through 11 is just pretty distinctive to me um, in the sense of Paul takes great length through those three verses to to show me Israel and how they're God's chosen people and how God's still going to save them and he's actually going to use the jealousy provoked by the Gentile church to save them. So if if replacement theology is true, why would Paul go to great lengths to show me how Israel's still going to be saved? Right. That makes so, sense. I don't know. That's just me. Um, and I could be. I don't. I don't. I don't think I'm wrong on this one. Um, but and the the verse I don't know where it's at. I think it might be in Romans too. But when he talks about do not think of yourselves too highly mm-hmm. to the Gentiles, uh, like higher than the mm-hmm. Jews. Yeah, like, I feel like I don't. Know, I feel like he made a lot of distinctions between. Yeah, yeah. He does distinct. He does distinctions, and again, 
he does stink. <laughs> That's like I say, he does stink. Um, but he may have. But uh, in Galatians, I mean, it is, and again, in Galatians, he does tells us he does tell us there that you know, in salvation, God's no respecter of a person. So he don't, he's not seeing you as Greek Jew, whether you're born again or not. Like you have to be born again. But then other parts of the scripture, there is great links he goes to describe the differences, and and so I don't know. Um, this has been something that's definitely been around for a little while, this whole idea of replacement theology. And here's, I think, I think one of the reasons that replacement theology gets brought up a lot mm-hmm. is eschatology. Um, because if you are replacement and believe the New Testament churches replace Israel, a lot of people who have that idea are also all millennials, and they really don't believe in a rapture. So they're going to just say we're kind of going into the second coming directly or the second coming has already happened and now we're just kind of waiting for the establishment of the kingdom because we have replaced Israel. But then if you are more in the sense of um, dispensationalism, which would we would we would probably be more categorized, we're categorized as dispensationalists, then we believe there's a time when the Gentile church is going to be raptured out. Right. And then the 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be released on the earth to evangelize Israel. And so um, I think the conversation... But if, we, if you believe in replacement theology, why would that be necessary? Exactly. Yeah. Because um, replacement theology, Israel's not going to have a great revival, per se. Right. Because everybody... I don't... I mean, there's going to be a great revival. But Paul in Romans 11... He really harks on Israel's going to have a great revival, like right. Israel themselves. And that goes as far as like all of Israel is going to be saved. So now that does not mean you're saved just because you're Israelite. That means that there's going to be a great harvest come in. So if you want to find more information, you can study up the difference between dispensationalism and replacement theology. And that will start to draw you distinctions. Okay. Um, can I clarify the statement, all of Israel will be saved? <clears throat> now, how this is going to play? Yeah, okay. how that's going to play? Talking to yourself? No, <laughs> no, it was a listener. Sometimes I talk to myself. Um, I think in this regard, I think Israel in the time of the great tribulation, whenever it seems the Gentile church is being taken out, he does say all of Israel is going to be saved. But I think here, what he's saying here is too, they're not saved just because they're Israel at this point. I think the Israeli church, the Jewish church, the Jewish people, per se, Jewish people, let me say Jewish people, are going to see that Christ was correct. And I think at this point, God's going to start to um, take the blinder off their hearts and start to open the veil from their eye. And I think that Israel as a nation is going to come to repentance. And I think they're going to see the glory of God. Now, I have her teaching of that word all doesn't mean all. I don't know. I just, I think all is going to be, I think Israel is going to have a great revival. And I think Israel is going to really come, come back to the father one final time because this is it. Like whenever that's starting to happen, I believe in Romans 11, I don't believe there's room for another great falling away from Israel. I think it's the time they finally come and see the Messiah and see Jesus as the Messiah, and he's revealed to them. And Where was uh, that verse again? 
Romans, I think it's Romans 11. Um, 11, 26. 26. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to say 25. I was close. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, you're looking at the two great witnesses paralleled in Revelation um, that are going to come in the spirit of Elijah, have power over the plagues, power over the weather. Um, Elijah, Elijah and Moses is my my opinion on that. And I don't think it's going to be Elijah and Moses per se. Personally, I think it's come, somebody's going to come like them. The spirit of them, you know, yeah. like a mantle type Yeah, thing. that's my personal. I, I've thought about that a lot, and my personal opinion is that. And they're going to die in the street, then they're going to resurrect, and they're going to have great power. And then in the midst of all this, it seems like 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be raised up. So it looks like God's really shown himself to the Israeli people because they are his people, and he has not revoked his calling and election over them I, i'm just looking up the the verses when you talk about the word all mm-hmm. the scripture like uh say whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed you know mm-hmm. um let me see the whosoever all, i'm looking up the whosoever's it's the same greek word mm-hmm. so yeah you know when you're talking about all it's it has conditions yeah sure so. you must be born again mm-hmm. and um hmm. Will there maybe be a sporadic Jew or something that doesn't come to Christ? I don't know. The, I don't know how all that plays out. Well, there's a lot of whosoever's that, yeah. you know, it, it depends on what they, if they meet the conditions of, then, then they are a whosoever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, and I think there is a truth to that for sure. Um, I'm just, I'm excited to see from heaven the revival because <laughs> I plan to be raptured out by this point uh, I do too. and so but I get to I can't wait to see it and um, the the revival that Israel is going to experience what does the uh, the what would be Greek word for all what is that word there in this in that passage um, you, uh, well let me see what well, it was in 1126 yeah no yeah 1126 uh-huh it, it's my Bible I mean, you, just do says. Do you really want the Greek word or the, well, just the meaning? Okay, uh, let me get it, get it here. My my study Bible says this refers to the whole nation that will be alive in Palestine when Christ comes, and it gives Zechariah uh-huh. twelve ten, uh, Zechariah fourteen one through fifteen, Matthew twenty four thirty nine, and Isaiah sixty six seven and eight. So Dake saying the whole nation is going to be saved. That's what he says. Oh. Well, uh, it is at that time that all the rest of Israel will be gathered, mm-hmm. according to Isaiah eleven one through twelve and Isaiah sixty six nineteen through twenty one. I had I did not read those, so I don't know. This may be the first time I've said this on the air, yeah. but I might agree with Dake on one thing. Right, there you <laughs> go. Um, the Greek word pass or pas p a s. It's the Strong's number thirty nine fifty six includes all the forms. Um, apparently a primary word, all, any, every, the whole. All manner of means, always, any, daily, every, everyone, as many as thoroughly, whatsoever, whole, whosoever. So, uh, And then when you look up the whosoever's, they... Means all, then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The same Greek word. Okay. Interesting, but... <clears throat> yeah. Because, again, let's... We can just... Um, I want to do something here. Well, 
Replacement theology is not what I thought it was. I thought it had something to do with the atonement. So, no. Okay. Um, I'm glad I asked then. It, now it's that just w- one of those things that you kind of, uh, or at least for me, you know, I've heard it, but I've never really thought much about it. Mm-hmm. So, so well, I'm going to just find out today. Yeah. So, 25, uh, 24. I just want to read these. I'm going out. Romans 9. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive trees? For would I, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles had come in, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness for Jacob for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins hmm. and then this is where they go can I read this real, is that okay oh yeah as concerning the gospels they are enemies for your sake but as touching the election they are beloved of the father so he's saying right now Israel Jews are the enemies of the gospel but the gifts of callings of God without repentance, for as in times past have not believed in God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief. So it's saying Gentiles attain mercy through Israel's unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may obtain mercy. So now he's saying Gentiles were expecting you to show Israel mercy because through you show no mercy and preaching and continue to preach in them the gospel, they're going to obtain mercy for God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon them all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how searchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I love that. Mm-hmm. So they are going to obtain mercy through the Gentiles continue to reach out with mercy. And this is where I strongly, as much as I agreed with Martin Luther on some things, I strongly disagree with him, his hatred for the Jews. Mm. And so many reformers and Christians over the centuries who hated the Jews and said, we're just done with them. Well, you've got to be careful because Paul is telling us here that the way that Israel will obtain mercy is the Gentile church showing them mercy. And in essence, what's that saying? We must continue to preach the gospel to them. We must be, a, be continue to reach out because through that, yeah. God's going to show himself to the Gentile church. So, right. uh, Monday question number two, sponsored by Higdon Land Survey. Did we get number one, question number one answered? Yeah, okay. Saul. Um, okay. He was looking for the donkeys. Dwayne Kidd got that right. An earthquake during King Uzziah's reign was so remarkable that one of the Hebrew prophets dates his books two years before the earthquake. Which prophet did that? 270-257-2689. If you were calling just a second ago into the station and you're listening, I'm sorry, I can't answer on the phone all, on the air always. So if you want to call back during the break, I'd love to talk to you. 270-257-2689 is the number to answer that question. We'll be right back here after the break. On mornings with Box Two Radio on the Box Two Radio Network.
This is Box 2 Radio Network, WBFI, 91.5 FM, McDaniels, Litchfield, 91.1 FM, Highsville, Glasgow, Kentucky, and WBFI, 98.3 FM, Owensboro, Kentucky. We are Box 2 Radio Network, elevated talk, inspired music. JCE Cleaning Service is an underwriter of the mission of Box 2 Radio Network. They offer residential and commercial cleaning services, stripping and waxing services to the Grayson and Breckenridge County areas. For more information, their number is 270-230-7407. Thanks again to JCE Cleaning Services on being an underwriter of the Box 2 Radio Network. Welcome back in. We do not have an answer for the second trivia question yet. An earthquake during King Uzziah's reign was so remarkable that one of the Hebrew prophets dates his book two years before the earthquake. Which prophet did that? Amen. Two, I seven. have no idea that answer. That was a tricky one. That was yeah. a good one. Did you know uh, it? Not off the top of my head. Yeah. Not off the top of my head. I, I, I could not remember it. So um, I had another Gary said he, I stumped um, that we got him on that trivia too. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, let's see here. We have. I have, a, I have a thought, but it's just a guess. More of it. Well, um, I would say give me your thought, but then if your <laughs> thought's right, then I don't know. <laughs> and if we a, get an answer, I'll tell you. My, yeah. My logic, but. But um, if we'll we'll open that back up for the next break. Try our hardest to do that. Um, it's hard to. Sometimes it's a little hard to answer the phone on the break. If you want to interact with the broadcast, the best way to do that is texting me at 270-230-6337. Again, 270-230-6337 is the number that you can text me there. And um, and also I want to say that we're praying for all the victims of the tornado um, over the weekend and those who've lost property. And I don't know, um, has there been per se a death toll? Releases have been any injuries or death that we know of over the weekend. In from Tennessee, 20th? there was there, there was six. I th- six. And I heard that one of them was a toddler. So we need to be praying for them and mm-hmm. um, peace during just this time. Looking at some pictures on the news, and there was yeah, it's rough. Yeah, and we're gonna be praying for them as a as the body of Christ and give them peace. Amen. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to go into our Bible questions. Um, we've already answered one, what is replacement theology? Um, and then we're going to let um, we're going to let Hannah answer all of this one this morning. <laughs> Why did God create Lucifer? <laughs> there you go, Hannah. There you go, Hannah. Are you ready? <laughs> no, what's funny, though, is that conversations that I've had this weekend with people, um, so many conversations have included the questions that we've talked about today because like with the young adults we came together and we worship we came together for like a time of worship and prayer after church yesterday and just different conversations we had about replacement uh theology israel and then now um we had the question of i think we talked about this on the radio a while back but like the evil like mm-hmm. the and the antichrist spirit and like yeah. did god create evil you know all of those questions came up so it's funny you say that but i don't have an answer <laughs> i i don't know if we i don't know we'll have to get into it yeah i, can, I had I can that was thoughts. actually came for one of my uh youth on wednesday night 
Yeah. He asked that question. And what was your response? I said that may be above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) I think to understand why God created Lucifer, we first and foremost have to understand his nature. Yeah. And God's nature is good. All right. And I think sometimes we, God's allowance is God's not activity always. And what I mean by that, God can allow something to happen, but yet he's not the one actively doing it. And so in this thought pattern, I think when God makes something, he makes it perfectly good. Now, one thing that we've been taught for a long time, and y'all are just going to interrupt me here somewhere because I will blab babble. I'm just in a babbling mood lately. So um, is this that. Amen. <laughs> babble on. It, all right. So angels. And some reason, I don't even know where this thought pattern got started, to be honest with you, in history. But we thought it for a long time, and we're just trying to get past this now. Angels had free will. All right? They had free will. If they didn't have free will, Lucifer and one-third of angels couldn't rebel. So they had this free will about them. They could choose not to do their job. And so, but when Lucifer was originally created, I think the concept is that Lucifer was created, and God created Lucifer to be Lucifer. God never created Lucifer just to be evil. God created Lucifer to be the worship leader of heaven. Yeah. And so when Lucifer was created, he was created wonderfully. He was created perfectly. He was created with the most prolific singing voice. He was created to bring worship to God. He was created for a purpose. And so for me, the question of why Lucifer was created was easy. Mm-hmm. He was created for his job. Yeah. And he was created to worship God. And he was created to lead all of heaven into worship. Could, could you say, though, that that each of us has been created? So would, could you right. say, then, I mean, you you know, could why, why did God create Joe Aaron Biden. Wilson? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My first thought was Hitler, but I get close. <laughs> um, well, he, he because, sometimes that gives you the leader that you deserve as a nation. So, <laughs> no. Go ahead, Hannah. Sorry. <laughs> No, I guess, I mean, that answer could apply to all of us, you know, yeah. because at this point. I he mean, has a purpose and plan. Yeah, a purpose for each, for each, each person, but then the person chooses the mm-hmm. evil. Because even though now we are born into inherited original sin and we are sinful even from birth, we're born into sin, the original creation of man was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, man is not born good, though. I think that's where, so I think the question of why Lucifer created is easy. He was created perfectly. He was created perfectly. He was created to be the worship leader in heaven. He was created to bring glory, honor, adoration, and worship unto God. He was to lead heaven into that worship of Almighty God. The question could, though, that's a little bit more difficult to say, is God in his omniscience, knowing all things from the beginning, why did he create at e i mean lucifer knowing that he was going to do what lucifer did yeah that question's a little harder um why didn't god just not create him at that point if god Seems in his like omniscience saved a lot of you know problems yeah but then i think too you could what miss Gretchen said that question would apply to somebody who's never yeah gets born again yeah that question could or apply Hitler to Hitler or, or well, Stalin. He, he, yeah. he, even me or you, you know. Right. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you can apply that to ev- anything that's happened all throughout time. Uh-huh. Or here's here's a question. 
if angels have free will, and I, I believe they did or do, <clears throat> why were we created then? Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible actually gives us that, and that's to show his kindness in salvation. And that's one of the reasons that humans were created. But, but I do think we were created to have authority, too. Why, we were but why not just extend that to the fallen angels? <clears throat> um, that would be a question for God. <laughs> uh, now, I do think, though, that there's differences like um, humans. And I don't think we ever have this insinuated about angels. Yeah. But I think humans were created in the image of God, which is different than that angels. That is true, yeah. And I do think there's a difference, distinctive difference between angels and humans, without a doubt. And when you die, you do not become an angel. Um, or when a bell rings. Yeah, an angel don't lose his wings. <laughs> Get his wings. Get his wings. Oh, okay. That was a fairy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going off of It's a Wonderful I was going life. off Peter Pan. Um, but now let's go back to the question, though, because why God created Lucifer is easy. The question of... Why did God create Lucifer knowing what yeah. he knew about Lucifer is a little bit more difficult. Um, because at the end of the day, too, Lucifer did not have... Angels don't have the opportunity to be saved. There is not redemption for angels. Right. Um, humans have that ability. God has made a way. Is it because we're created in his image? I think I think we're created in his image. And I think it's the original intent of man. He was bringing us back to that original intent right. and to what Adam had in the garden and lost. But, but why don't angels have the ability to be redeemed? Um, I mean, I agree with you. but I think at that point. But I don't know the answer. <laughs> now, in, in that point, though, I, I know it's going to sound Calvinistic. And I don't mean for it to sound Calvinistic. But in this regard, I think it's God's sovereignty at work. Um. For for example, he will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. And there is a level of his election and sovereignty that it's good. And why he chose to give humans the ability and the avenue to be born again and not angels, mm -hmm. I'm not very sure. I'm just glad he did. Right. Because I get to be born yeah, again. I, I agree. I'm not sure I understand why or how, but I agree. I can't unpack the depths yeah. of it. Um, it takes somebody a lot. That's a, that's a higher pay grade than me. Uh, <laughs> that takes somebody bigger than me. And I'm not for sure we know. Like, I don't think Scripture really gives us the insight of why angels can't be saved and humans can, except for that he was showing his loving kindness through us and that we see the, the goodness of God's nature and forgiveness and mercy manifested through his hand and his heart towards humans. And he, mankind in also, redemption. It probably has a lot to do with that we were made in His image. I would say that's a pretty good part of it, and and what Adam was created to do, have dominion, because again, Adam is referred to as the first Adam, and then Christ came as Christ, but the second Adam, and to do what the first Adam failed to do, and that was to bring order, order to the chaos and authority to the world, and um, in that He also gave us the the path to be born again and to be made right with God and to have peace with God. And we are his children once we're born made, again. Once we're born again. But it never ref it never mm -hmm. mentions angels being children, does it? Ooh, we had that remember that? The uh, thing. <laughs> we got ourselves into the mess there. I'm I'm gonna play the fifth on that because I'm still <laughs> looking into that. No. Was it the sons? It was Job. Uh, oh Job. And 
Greg may have got me on that one, so I have to be careful. I, I, okay. okay. I, 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 I won't open up that can. Yeah, Greg, Greg, if you're listening, I'm confessing here. I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, the car wall five got me on that one. Um, and so, but, but other than that, though, I just don't see. Yeah. Well, now let's center in on this question of why didn't God stop creating it? Lucifer if he knew it was going to the I, the reason I don't think he stops in something like that is he uses all things to work his plan together mm-hmm. so God never made Lucifer be evil Lucifer chose to evil can we we all agree on that right yeah, like yeah, I agree. so even though God's sovereign plan was at work Lucifer never felt like the puppet master like a puppet Lucifer freely chose to rebel against God in heaven and in that, God used that rebellion to work his plan out. Because really, from the very foundation of the world, Christ was what? The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So if Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, before the world was even created, Christ was already slain, in a sense, in the plan of God. Doesn't that mean that before the foundation of the world, the Father already saw Lucifer's fall? Because and saw Lucifer's temptation to cause Adam and Eve to fall because there would be no need of a lamb being slain if there was no need of redemption. Mm-hmm. So I think God foresaw it in, in, the, in the plan A because I do, not pl- I do not, I've never believed that God had a plan B. I think God's yeah. plan A mm-hmm. is sufficient. Mm-hmm. God don't ever need a plan B. And his timing is so much different. Mm-hmm. than ours yeah. too so we think like oh all these years of <laughs> all of the stuff satan's done but then to god it doesn't feel the same mm-hmm. like because his timing is different so yeah mm-hmm. that's another aspect of it we don't really can't comprehend yeah. some of these things we're just grasping because i'm not god none of us are god and you better be thankful for that <laughs> um but uh, i think in his sovereignty st- he still allowed him because Here's the thing, God don't get freaked out, and God's prep, God's plan A is perfect. He never has to change his plan A. It's perfect. And even if we see like, well, I would have, we don't understand the full puzzle. We don't understand the full picture. We don't no. understand the full thing. His ways are past finding out, and his ways are higher than our ways. This is what we call trust and faith. And we just trust God that he's working all things together for the good. But I do have one thing. Sure. Do you think he allowed it? Because, I mean, look at all the scripture that talks about our suffering and how it produces things in us. And I'm not, and and I don't know all the answers, but it just seems like the Lord allows a lot of the pushback from the enemy in order to build us. I think, sorry. Was anybody else going to say anything? No, I'm right. babbling. So I'm telling yeah, yeah. y'all, y'all have to shut me up. <laughs> no, this good. is this is my this is like my stuff. I love to talk about. I think you'd have to draw a distinction there to make sure that we are saying Lucifer's being used to edify and build us. Here's one thing I don't like, and the church sometimes says it. And I think we I think it's time we just start to draw this flat out distinction. Lucifer's not used to punish us. That's not Lucifer's job. Who who actually gives the wrath? God. God. So Lucifer won't be the punisher. So if you want to, if if you say that God, like in Job, God uses 
Lucifer or Satan at that time to to test and approve and to and to do all that to Job. But God was never sending Satan to punish or be punitive towards Job. No, I don't think punish. Um, I just think produce character. Yeah. So I think if test. we draw that distinction, I'm okay with it. Um, test but, trial. Mm-hmm. But I, I've heard Christians. And a lot of times, it probably a little bit of ignorance and not saying stupidity. I, I hate that we always have to defend the word ignorance because I don't know a lot of things. So I'm ignorant in a lot of things. But um, Amen. Thank you, Jason. Um, <laughs> but but they say, oh, God's just using pay- Satan to punish me for my mistake, punish me for this. And that, that's just not accurate. If, if there's punishment needed, it's God's job. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Satan will not be in hell punishing you for eternity. Satan will be in hell punished yeah. for eternity. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think yeah, those I completely are... agree with that. No, it's just I do think about Job, and I think about different things of how the Lord allows certain things and the good that comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And even with Joseph and his life, yeah. and then how he takes what the enemy intended for evil, turns around for his good. Mm-hmm. The devotional I've been reading, you know, I'll quote from it a lot. <laughs> uh, Sarah Young, Jesus Calling. You know, the last few days, it's, uh, it's been about, you know, trials and all like that, and that, you know, basically, and, and she uses the scripture in James about, you know, count it all joy when you uh, fall into diverse temptations or trials. And uh, the, the other day it was, uh, and I pulled it up on my uh, online, and it said that, um, you know, don't yearn for a problem-free life. Rejoice that trouble can highlight your, your awareness of God's presence, Jesus' presence in your life. And, uh, of course, this is written in, like, first person is Jesus talking himself to you. And... Uh, so in the darkness of adversity, you you are able to see more clearly the radiance of my face. You know, mm-hmm. so, and there were several days that's like that. You know, like uh, that. Uh, you know, any time that, you know, uh, his light outshines the darkness of anything mm-hmm. that comes about. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one more. Qu- uh, I have a listener question, and then we'll go on to number two. Mm-hmm. Unless anybody else got anything to say about Lucifer. Well, I, I was just going to say that you know at the end of the day. He, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, and as uh, the scripture says, his ways are not our ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his ways are higher, you know. So it's kind of like the old saying goes, he's playing chess while we're playing checkers. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to understand it. You know, we, you know, we want to, we strive to. But uh, if, if it comes to a thing that he's just like, I'm, I'm not, can't really quite wrap my head around that. It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in control. He knows what he's doing. <coughs> There's a trust thing. Yeah. There's yeah. a trust. <clears throat> and then there's sometimes, too, that I think it shows God's glory and God's, I know this is poor English, so I don't even know if it's a word, God's bigness, that there's things we can't figure out always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if I had a God that I could control and I had a God that I could figure out every T and dot every I, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of equivalent to a God I got to keep picking up because he keeps falling over in the room. Yeah. Um, well, I think that was the issue with Satan. I mean, we know the pride crept in and he didn't have humility and he wanted to be, he wanted the power. So it seems like, I mean, he had God to humble him, but we kind of, because we're made lower, have like so many other things that humble us as well. Mm-hmm. Like God is the one humbling us, but 
because it's we don't have that much authority. Well, we have authority through Christ, but because we don't have that much like supernatural power and like responsibility, I guess that Satan had, we don't. We still are. I mean, he offers temp. He offers pride to us, and our flesh wants to be prideful. But I don't know. It's like different. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. That was Satan's downfall. Is that he was made so. He was perfect. made perfect. Satan was. Lucifer was the man in heaven. Um, one listener asked, "Will there be heaven angels? Any angels in heaven?" I think there will be a lot of angels in heaven. The question for me would be: Is there going to be angels in the New Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. Um, I would flip that question a lot because I think angels above abide in heaven. Um, of course, we have the cherubim. We have the angels camped about. They have. I think angels abode is in heaven. Um, now, do I think they have houses up there? I don't. I don't know how that works. Um, but uh, the question I would ask more. Me, I just want a cabin. <laughs> Stop it. Um, um, but I, I am curious, and I have been curious a little I bit. Of, I don't. If, <laughs> if angels will be in the New Jerusalem, because the New Jerusalem feels more super spiritual. I mean, like it feels more of a spiritual city on earth because we're, gonna, we're not going to have need of a sun because Jesus will be our light. So... I'm I'm curious, and I don't have an answer for that. So if anybody does, I'm, I'm open. I'm asking you all the questions now. Um, and then Jason Lee said, can you verify that Satan and demons don't know everything like God does? Well, God's the only one omniscient and means all-knowing. Because we see all throughout scriptures, angels are only doing what they're told to do. And they're only sent where they're told to send. And I would think if, if Satan knew everything, he would have never allowed Christ to be he wouldn't have tried to kill Christ. Like, he wouldn't have been tempting. He wouldn't have done this. The Jews, they would have never slaughtered him. Satan would not be tempting him because, you know, the Antichrist spirit's been there. And I would say the Antichrist spirit was a driving force behind Israel. I mean, Israel turning and denying Christ. And so I would, I don't see any scripture that I can just say, this scripture says they don't know everything. But I think if we look through all the scriptures alluding to what angels, demons, and Satan's doing, we would for sure understand they don't know everything. But I do think they're very intellectual because I think Satan, demons, and angels have the ability to learn. And in saying that, if they've been around for a long time, think of how much stuff they've learned. Think of how much stuff they've heard. That's where we get familiar spirits at. Spirits that are familiar to a location, familiar to a family. They've been around for a long time. So honestly, spirits probably know your family lineage better than you ever dreamed of knowing it because they've been here. And they're adapting and they're learning. And so, and I think that's where things like um, necromancing comes in at, and things, people who fortune tell and the spirit of divination, as the scripture calls it. I think a lot of times these can happen because familiar spirits are so familiarized with what has happened in your life. And the whisper, accuse, lie. Um, and so, uh, good stuff. I like that question. Um, anybody else? No? I was looking at that scripture. You just called it. It's in First Corinthians uh, two, verses seven and eight. Uh, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world into our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord yes. of glory. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah, that scripture is a good. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that would almost end. 
say if they would have known it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a good scripture. Maybe it would. Yeah, yeah. good scripture, Miss Gretchen. Yeah. See if I'd shut up and let Miss Gretchen talk, <laughs> she'd just answer the question well, no, for you, me. I had to uh, find it. I, I, I'm always I'm, for some reason I've always thought it was in John, and uh, but it's in First Corinthians too. <laughs> you know, I just got done teaching First and Second Corinthians to the New Testament class. And honestly, I just forgot how much I love that book. And I'm, I mean, yeah, that's good. those are really good books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Let's take a quick break. We're going to rerun the second trivia question, and then we're going to come back with does Colossians one fifteen indicate that Jesus was created? And this is probably going to get pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> Colossians what? One fifteen. Okay. Um, because around this, you brings in the discussion of modalism, trinitarianism, brings in discussion of Arianism, which was original church father around three hundred. Um, I thought you was, was quoting yourself. There. No, Arian, <laughs> Arianism. Um, and then I don't know. Have y'all ever studied the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed? I'm yep. sure you did in uh, theology yep. class, Jason. Which the Council of Nicaea, we'll talk about this more when we get back. It it was literally about this. So we'll come back here um, after the break on Morning's Box 2 Radio on the box. All righty, we are back here on this beautiful, beautiful December 11th, 2023. 14 days from Christmas, right around the corner. We haven't, we do not have an answer yet for that second trivia question. It's a toughie um, because there is some things in the New Testament, Old Testament about some prophets discussing an earthquake. Um, but this prophet specifically said two years prior to the earthquake. And so, good stuff. All right, we are going to head back into the trivia questions for the day. Let me, I'm going to mark some stuff off here so no, I've got these done. Does Colossians 1.15 indicate that Jesus was created? Um, let's go over here. Anybody at Colossians 1.15 by chance? I am. You are? Do you want to read that for us? Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? It's kind of, let me see if it, there's a whole paragraph in there that says, Maybe, maybe I should start at the beginning of the paragraph here. Verse 12. Yep. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom he, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And he just continues on. Go, so. <laughs> can you read 16 and 17? Okay. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Mm-hmm. Um, paragraph. <laughs> so was this one from the youth too on Wednesday, Jason? Uh, no, I just came in. This came in. Yeah. Um, this is actually... Um, Read the question again. Uh, does Colossians one fifteen indicate that Jesus was created? Because in there he says the firstborn of every creature. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, I don't think that this has I don't think this is saying in the slightest that Jesus was created. I think in reality before just to kind of give an overview of it, I think this is saying that Jesus predates creation, that he gives priority. This word in the Greek can mean the word firstborn. It can mean priority. So he is the first priority of all creation because why? He tells us, for all things were created by him that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. John Wesley says that, um, that the first begotten of every creature, that is, begotten before every creature, subsisting before all worlds, before all time, from all eternity. He was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was. Mm-hmm. But, th- I mean, this brings up a debate, though, that's been a while f- around for a while. And, of course, the Council of Nicaea, which was... It, now, this was the Catholic bishops that were put into place by Constantine. But Constantine arranged in 325 Council of Nicaea to meet. And literally their whole thing was discussion, discussing Arianism, which is basically Arian, a father of the church or early church. They were starting to question the doctrine of the Trinity. And so the Trinity is not a new concept. Some people say the Council of Nicaea is where the Trinity even started, yeah. but it's not. It right. was it predated that for sure. They just come in and try to solidify it. And, of course, you got the Nicene Creed, and if you ever want to read the Nicene Creed, you can actually go there and read it. It's um, I actually agree with most of the Nicene Creed, and even at the end of it, it says the Apostolic Catholic Church. Got to remember they were Catholic. Um, so I don't necessarily agree with said that part but i do think you can have an insinuation the catholic church is the universal church that's what i always took it as and i I think i I would flow with it from that day if that's what they meant which back then they very well could have because there wasn't that was the church right um but they they gather together to basically arian was basically saying that god jesus was created and that he was created as a manifestation per se of the father I just I can't get behind that. Like Jesus so, has always been. So verse sixteen and seventeen, by him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, and then on and says, uh, for he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Mm-hmm. Is that referring to Jesus or the invisible God from verse fifteen? I think it's Jesus. That's what I always thought too. And if that is the case, then. You can't be a created being and be the creator at the same yeah, time. you can't. So, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that those attributes of 16, 17, and 18 are talking about uh, about God from, you know, from verse 15. But I don't, I don't see that because it says it's the firstborn of every creature, and then it goes on to give the attributes. Yeah. So when you're describing something, you're you're describing the the words prior to that mm-hmm. yeah I mean I agree with definitely what you're saying yeah. um, but you know and I think this is the danger about modalism though and this is why I don't I don't use the wording myself because I understand the importance of distinctions one God three manifestations I know a lot of times that is the language used a lot but mm-hmm. to me I I don't like any hint of modalism because modalism to me in a sense will produce this God the Father was the original, and then God the Son came as the next manifestation. Then the Holy Spirit came as the next manifestation. And to me, at that point, you're almost hinting at something's created. Yeah. 
that something comes into fullness or something's coming into manifestation. God is just God, and he's always been within the three forms. The Greeks and the early church used the word periclesis, and periclesis is a Greek word that speaks of a reciprocal chase that it's just a oneness. And that's what they spoke of the relationship of the Trinity with each other, those three in one. But here, they're basically destroying this Council of Nicaea, basically saying there's not three manifestations, there's three persons, one God. And if you're not careful, what you have is God the Father started, He is the one, and then God the Son was created as a manifestation. And, And I think what happens a lot is a lot of people have not ill intention about Jesus being created, they just misinterpret it, and unintentionally, they make Jesus a created God by making him God Jr. Yeah. And I think we have to be careful of that because there's nothing that's created about Jesus. Jesus was the creator of all things. John tells us that. John tells us he's ex- he's uh, he, um, he is that he created all things, and even those who were his did not know him, even though he created them. Colossians here saying all things are created for him and, I mean, by him and for him. Yeah. And so, I, you know, and, and I think, too, there's an indicator here, verse 4, among, among many brethren, he's given priority, and all of creation is his. And all of creation was made for his glory. And so I just don't see anywhere that, what you was talking about is um, completely correct, Jason. Like, I don't see anywhere contextually you can even play out mm-hmm. that he was being created because then he just goes right into him being the creator. Right. And then I guess verse 19 kind of sums up that he is talking about Jesus because it says, For it pleased the Father that in him, him being Jesus, should all fullness dwell. So that's all uh, 16, 17, 18, and 19 are all. Um, you know, attributes of Christ. So, all right. Um, yeah, I think that's, I, can, I think that kind of answers our question, but um, I'm, I'm not sure I exactly know what modalism is, though. Um, modalism is um, oneness, right? Yeah, like it's just one. All right, so. Yeah. Um, Only. I yeah, thought Hannah one, was trying to make a point. No. <laughs> she raised her hand. One finger up. Well, you well, don't you, raise your hand. You know? I got one finger up. <laughs> it's it's a oneness to it. Um, and, you know, modalism is found in a lot of areas. Like um, T.D. Jakes is probably the most popular modalist. And anytime you try to take away from any part of the Trinity, because the Trinity is distinct. It, it is found all throughout Scripture, like without a doubt. Like it, it definitely is found with all, all yeah. throughout Scripture. And even John chapter 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Talking of who? Jesus. Yeah. And so, um, but, you know, and again, my greatest fear of using the word manifestation is that you have the propensity to unintentionally create gods like father no no now he's learned to manifest himself as a son well no there's no beginning to manifest as a son the son was already always there because the son was always with the father and jesus even says um i think it's john 17 father let me 
let me pick back up the glory that I had with you before the foundations of the world. Before I came down to earth, let me pick back up that glory, which is Jesus insinuating. Let me, let me get back to my rightful place with you. Does that make sense? And so I just don't get this one in three manifestation. That's just me, which I'll be honest with you. Me and brother Ron always had this talk a lot. We, we talked, we dialogued about this quite a bit, um, in the Trinitarian view, because then again, we do want to guard against the idea that we're not polytheistic or that we're three gods or yeah. worshiping three different gods. We, we were accused one time early on in the ministry that, you know, someone called and wanted to know something about our, a doctor. And then, and, uh, and, this, it was a lady, and she she said, "Oh, so you worship three gods, you know?" And I think that she was she was probably a modalist, <laughs> and uh, you know. And I was like, "No, we don't. No, 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 we don't." <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and I don't know that I could still really answer, you know. But that that was the accusation for us, toward us. So, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't um, worship three gods, you know. No. Um. Brother DeWayne said that Paul did not have any problem using the word manifestation. Um, let me get to where he did that. All right, so... Did he give scripture? Yeah. Do you, do you no, well, I know, I know <laughs> this is where he'd be. 1 Corinthians 12. Now the diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are, different, there, there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is giving to every man to profit with all. There he's not saying anything to do with different manifestation of the Trinity or anything to that regard. He's just saying the the working of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit. And that I would use that word. Mm-hmm. I just don't use it pertaining to the Trinity. And mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm using the wrong verse and there's another one I'm missing, I would be glad. I mean, Paul does use it again in Titus 1.3, but that's also not talking about per se, the Trinity, that would be talking about, um, but that in due time manifested his word through preaching. So again, he's made his word come alive. He's manifesting, he's showing it, he's demonstrating it. Mm-hmm. But both times that I see Paul using the word manifest, neither times it has anything to do with the Trinity. It would have to do with the working of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit and the uh, manifestation of God confirming his word through signs and wonders and works in Titus one three. But and if there's some if there's one I'm missing, I would love to I just looked it up there's only three. What's the other one? Oh. Let me go back. <laughs> that uh, is there only three word three times using the Bible? Uh-huh. Okay. Romans eight nineteen, uh first Corinthians twelve seven and second Corinthians four two. Romans eight nineteen. Let me see that one. That for the earnest expectation of the creature waiting waiteth for, for the, the manifestation of the sons of God. Yeah, yeah. We just we talk about that one a lot. I skipped my brain. But I was thinking there was only, I knew there wasn't many times Paul used it. Now, I think every time that Paul used the word manifestation, it was never regarding the Godhead. It was regarding the, the outward working of the Godhead and in the world. And the plural form is not used. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the King James. Yeah. So, um, man, oh, as in manifestations. Mm-hmm. Got you. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that would be, that would be me. I, I just... There's hesitance in me to use that word concerning the Godhead just because of the doors it's opened up in history for misinterpretation of who they are. And, um, but, I mean, I still cling to always, here, Israel, our God is one God. Right. Mm-hmm. 
but yet we distinctively see him working together as one at the same time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you go with the word manifestation, you don't. You have the Father operates a Father, but then he manifests the Son. And for me, it just takes away from the baptism of Jesus that we see all three fully working there. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the Son being baptized, and the Father speaking. So all right. I'll shut up. Y'all just, somebody else take it. No, it's good. I I'm like just it. babbling. <laughs> Amen. I'm just Babylon. Babylon. Jason said I'm talking to myself, so I'm trying to. <laughs> At least he's not talking to himself in there. You were last week, weren't you? That when 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 how many days did you did you miss Hannah? Just one. Oh, okay. I did talk to myself <laughs> for a while. <laughs> well, one day, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I I don't get to listen a lot, you know, when I'm getting ready in the morning, and there's some days that I. I, I do, and because uh, I'm doing my own Bible study, yeah. and when I'm when I'm slow and a little behind, I <laughs> um, now there so is I missed it. <laughs> uh, Brother Kid just sent in First Corinthians, I mean First Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, uh, again, which um, without controversy, three sixteen, three sixteen. So without controversy, mm-hmm. great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into the glory. Mm-hmm. So again, Paul is here telling us without um, without controversy. So he says without debate, there is a mystery, and it's great concerning godliness. I kind of like to use that word instead of manifestations or anything, just mystery. Yeah, <laughs> but him saying God was manifest in the flesh, is that's first saying, or second Timothy. First Timothy three sixteen. That's that is saying that God was made manifest through the flesh, which means this, God showed us himself through Christ. Christ is the divine expression. So John 1 talks about this, that Christ was the divine expression. Again, this is not saying necessarily God was like a manifestation. God made himself manifestation of that. Again, the word manifest can mean God shows himself. And God surely did show himself in the flesh. And that was through the Christ. But then here he's saying justified in the spirit. So he's not saying God manifests in the flesh, God manifests in the spirit, God manifests in the Father. He's saying God was made known through the flesh because Christ came as the divine expression in the flesh. But then we are justified in the spirit. Um, so let's see. Adam Burton said, didn't Genesis 1 say, let us create man in our, own Im- in our image? That clarifies all parts that God has always been present. I agree. But I, I just, I don't see anywhere where Paul, Paul uses the word manifest or manifestation in the sense of showing, of demonstrating, of giving it to us. Yeah. But when you talk about the word manifestation in the Godhead, I think there's a difference in that manifestations of saying basically this. He appears as this, he appears as this, he appears as that. But if you have an appearing as one, you can't have his appearing as the two, and yet he shows him all three are working in unison because they're one. Um, John verse 1 answered if Jesus was created. I, I agree. Um, getting caught up on some text. Yeah. Um, yeah, manifest is in there 37 times. Yeah. Um, one in... Ecclesiastes and the rest in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And I don't have time to work through all though. <laughs> yeah. this morning. I will. I don't care to. I may have to do it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but I just, even here, 
in First Timothy. Well, why does it say that he's a great as the mystery, though? Because I mean, when he explains it, it doesn't really seem that is a mystery. Well, I think at one time it was a mystery to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. but now um, in the mystery of without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Um, but I think here Paul then unravels that mystery. Mm-hmm. But even as he's unraveling that mystery. There's still depths to all of these that we may never fully understand. True. Because God is so big. Um, and but, I think he reveals things, you know, maybe when we need to know it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hmm. But that's just that's just my take. And I know the Trinity is a hot topic. And He'll manifest it. <laughs> <laughs> He'll manifest it. it. <laughs> um, and I mean, I I love to talk like this kind of stuff. And I I may be on by the kid's side on this one. I don't know. <laughs> Ma- manifest. Yeah. What would cause it you? It doesn't to, bother me that that one doesn't. No, bother I can, me. I mean it doesn't really. Either way. That word. Well, like I I just I see the errors that have been created yeah. over history uh-huh. in this debate. I, in all honesty, I I tend to shy away from the Trinity simply because of that it just seems to be that people do get worked up over it. And I don't, I don't guess I really understand why they do. Because we're talking about the Godhead. Yeah. And um, so I just kind of. it's obvious that it's yeah. there, but, yeah. you know, I'm the same way. And so, you know, I believe I that there is one God, you know. And I, and I recognize the, the value for me that his name is Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. and in that name. Yeah. But, um. But for me, it, but there's it, times, you know, I pray, you know, yeah. to, I, I need a I need a father you know? yeah. and sometimes I need the spirit, you know, so uh, uh, there's that mystery <laughs> revealed to me manifesting. <laughs> yeah, for me, like the, the word manifestation doesn't uh, really imply one or the other. And mm-hmm. just I don't know, I guess just because I uh, I feel like I'm, I'm firm on what I believe. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really doesn't shake me one way or the other. Yeah, I um, I just prefer myself not to use the word manifestation. Yeah. I can yeah. see both sides. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Just because I've done a lot of study into this, and and I'm not, I don't think I have it figured out because I'm still grasping. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't I don't really use it, you know. But I I guess I just kind of think it in my mind, you know, that okay, that's how it's how he's coming to me. In, in this particular need or revelation or understanding, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, clearly, I mean, there's there is, you know, there's a lot of I, I don't know controversy, but there's a lot of uh, people looking at different ways. Yeah, I, I think that one thing, if you're ever going to look into this, mm-hmm. and Sabellianism, which was early on too, mm-hmm. um, it was. It's called that because there was a guy named Sabellian, I think is the name. And so, and he is, I don't want to say the originator, but he really, he really perpetuated the idea of modalism into the earth. And of course, uh, I, they, they kind of did another council meeting kind of deal. They did, <laughs> they did a lot of council. Uh, I'm learning some new but theories now <laughs> theologies well I, I just saw the word arianism yeah so i know how, now i know it's not spelled like your name but <laughs> yeah it's not <laughs> um and and you know they they've tackled this question over the years and 
I'm I'm always up for debating, talking, and learning, and that's what. Um, again, I don't. Me and a brother, kids, definitely. We're not. Neither one of us are worked up. We're just trying to find the the truth. Mm-hmm. That's that. That'd be the greatest thing is that we can find truth. And I am. I don't even for me like. So Jason, let me just ask you this, and in in, right. in no spirit of debate, but in spirit of eagerness to learn. The first Corinth, the first Timothy three sixteen, mm-hmm. when he says God manifest in the flesh, would you see that as a manifestation of the Trinity? Then, no, I would see that. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, like, do you do you <laughs> let, see this? Let as, me explain. <laughs> I just see it as God came to Earth as a man. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that's a manifestation or what. But would you say? This is where it gets, and this is where the air has gone over yeah. the years. So you would say God manifests in the earth as flesh. All right? Mm-hmm. All right. Water can only manifest as one thing at one time. This is where I think the water, the steam, and the ice break down. Yeah. Water's going to be water, water's going to be ice, or yeah. water's going to be steam. Right. It can't be all three at one time. Yeah. God can. Right. That's where it breaks down. And that's why I don't like the word manifestation because it's either going to have to manifest itself as water. Ice or vapor. Right. It can't operate as all three at the same time. Water can't. And this is where I feel like the 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 issue of modalism, one God and three manifestation manifestation comes in at, is that he did fully operate as all three at all times. So when Jesus was on the earth, God was still in heaven. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit was not created after right. Jesus died. Well, I may agree with you now. And so <laughs> this is where and again, this is not yeah. to take away Jesus. This yeah. is not to say there are three different gods. It's saying that the three ways God's working and the three persons of the Trinity are fully, all, yeah. all activated. All t- There's never been a point in history of the world, before the world, ending the world, that all three's not been fully activated doing their thing. I agree with that. And so that that would, th- is that better sounding from what yeah. I, to make myself better yeah. understanding what I'm saying? with, with my hesit- Because what's happened over the years is, well, Jesse Duplantis, I don't care to say his name. I, I don't mind just Jesse. I'm just saying I, I really disagree with him on this this thing. He said he had a dream one time, mm-hmm. and God took him to heaven. And basically in this dream vision, maybe it's a vision, I can't remember. It's been a little f- few years since I heard all the details. But he said in this dream he got to heaven, and there was like this big ball of energy. And this big, big ball of energy, at one time the father would walk out, and then the father walks in, and then the son walks out, and then the son walks in. And then the Holy Spirit comes out. And then the the Holy Spirit comes back in. And basically he was saying saying that's the Trinity. And I would say, no, it's not even close to being the Trinity. Because then how do you explain Jesus' baptism? How do you explain let us make man in our image? How do you explain all of those, the scriptures where it talks about the, the Son sending the Spirit? Or the Father sending the Spirit? Or the Son saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, all these things that talk about this, or in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. I don't know. It, it is, it's a very difficult thing. It is. Mainly because there's nothing to compare it to. Yes. Because outside mm-hmm. of the, the Trinity, it doesn't exist. I was yeah. just looking up synonyms for manifestation. None of them works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So and, and that's our thing. We we, we want to try to, to give these uh, comparisons or scenarios that mm-hmm. that kind of give us a better picture of it, but it you can't no because it doesn't exist outside the Godhead. 
And I think that's rightfully so yeah. because God's supposed to be bigger than anything yeah. we could ever imagine. Yeah. And so um, I don't know. That, yeah. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, we're out of time, though. I didn't realize that. I think that. you both are right. <laughs> that sounds a little compromising, Jason. <laughs> I always go back to Fiddler on the Roof when he says that one guy. That one guy makes a point. And he says, "You know, you're right." Well, and the other guy makes a point. And he says, "You know, you're right." I would. I would and like somebody says, "What do you mean?" You say he's right, and then you say he's right. You can't both be right. And he says, "You know what? You two are right." <laughs> we gotta go. We're out of here. We'll be back tomorrow, seven a.m. Central Time, on the mornings of Box Two Radio on the Box Two Radio Network. <laughs>